three, two, one. Welcome back to the Anyone Can Run podcast, the podcast for those new members of the running community who want to dominate their first race, whether it's a 5K, full marathon, or anything in between. I am your host, True Bros, a.k.a. Gabe, a.k.a. the guy who is going to run a marathon with 50 days notice, and I am an NCCA certified personal trainer, gamer, and sneakerhead who specializes in helping clients reach their health and fitness goals. This podcast is a dash of motivational words, a chronicle of my running my personal journey on the road to Gainesville, some poor attempts at humor, but above all, it's the place where we cover the marathon mindset, the running routines, and everything else you need to know to help you absolutely dominate your first race. I know it's been quite some time since we've had a discussion here at Anyone Can Run, and for that, I sincerely apologize, dear running bros. Due to my predilection towards wanting to have a concrete topic of discussion whenever we dust off the old microphone, coupled with my increased focus on YouTube, where we release videos twice a week, uh, so, you know, go pound that subscribe button for the channel, which is linked in the description of today's episode, I haven't wanted to get situated in our comfy studio which I can confirm is now substantially more comfortable since the wife and I are moving in the next month. So I've already cleared out quite a bit from the closet. Before we dive into the topic of today's discussion, let's give a little background. As I've mentioned multiple times, since I'm all about keeping it 100 with y'all, I am currently affiliated with both Honey Stinger and Gooder. I'm a member of both of their ambassador programs and have long been buying their products. And really, I was a brand advocate long before any sort of affiliation was in place. Honey Stinger had a raffle or a draw or whatever you call it when you enter to try to win entry into the most iconic race in the world, the New York City Marathon. And this raffle was specifically for members of the Honey Stinger Hive. As you can imagine, Lady Luck smiled upon yours truly because I was able to secure a registration. Truth be told, I went through the registration process the second I read through the email before telling anyone, even my wife, because I was worried it was some type of mistake and the invitation would be revoked. An opportunity postponed is an opportunity lost. So the second I had the chance to make a dream of mine come true, I had to jump at it. I've mentioned this multiple times in a handful of mediums because I know I create content in a bunch of different places. But I literally have only one goal left related to running, and that's completing the New York Marathon. So for me, this is literally a dream come true. Once I confirmed I was registered, I notified my always supportive spouse, and then the excitement, you know, kind of subsided and the practical reality set in. I literally am going to run a full 26.2 mile hitter with 51 days notice. I named the title of today's episode and my first weekly training vlog, Running a Marathon with 50 Days Notice, since, you know... I found out really late on the 51st day, and I mean, really, it's not like I had time to train on that day anyway. 
You might think to yourself, well, that's no big deal because True Bros is constantly espousing the marathon mindset and I've heard his race recaps and he's practically an Olympian and blah, blah, blah. And yes, your praise is very much appreciated, but it's never been my goal to oversell my physical prowess. That's more for the character I portray when live streaming games on Twitch, right? The fact of the matter is, I haven't been running too much over the past few months. While I've been going out and pounding the pavement with regularity, I haven't actually been running. In the first video of our series, where we're discussing training for a full marathon with 50 days notice, I actually went back and skimmed all of the running activities that I've tracked since my last race which was the Dopey Challenge in January 2020. In the 21 months or so since that time, I've hit 10 miles less than five times. And really, if I'm remembering correctly, those 10-mile, I don't even know what you call them. There were more 10-mile walks than running, right? Like I ran a little bit, but I was mostly walking. I've more been going for extended walks in the Texas heat, which typically range from four to six miles. While I may run occasionally, and I mean, we're talking maybe running for a minute or two and then walking the remaining eight or nine minutes since I always judge my intervals in 10 minute increments, I haven't been running continuously or hitting double digit mileage at all. I haven't had a race on the calendar, and believe me, I absolutely want to run the New York Marathon. That being said, it's a notoriously difficult race to get into, even if you're able to time qualify. I was planning to run a local race in the fall of 2022 to attempt and time qualify for the 2023 iteration of the New York City, or I guess we should call it NYC Marathon. However, plans change. And when an opportunity presents itself, it's either time to throw in the towel or put the pedal to the metal. We here at the esteemed Anyone Can Run podcast are not in the business of sitting on our hands and letting dreams slip through our fingers. So what do you do when you find out you're running your dream race in 50 days, you haven't gotten anywhere near high mileage in nearly two years, and oh, by the way, you're packing up your house to move in the next few weeks? The simple answer, psychomaniacs, is you get to work. For the purposes of today's conversation, we're going to talk about really the only three things that matter as far as I'm concerned when it comes to a race training cycle. How we're fueling, how we're actually training, and of course, our marathon mindset. Now, if I've said it once, I've said it a billion times. I'm a certified personal trainer, not a registered dietitian or a nutritionist. Whenever we talk food here, it's because I'm detailing my process and what works for me. We all have unique palates and body chemistries and food allergies and yada, yada, yada. So what works for me may not work for you. But I've always found it beneficial to hear the thought process or the logic behind someone's decision. I find that infinitely more valuable than the actual decision itself. Because at least then, I can see where they're coming from. And I can sort of pick and choose bits and pieces I may want to try. As even if I don't necessarily agree with the decision, I can at least understand how they reached it. With our usual food-related disclaimer out of the way, let's talk about the first thing I did when I found out about the race. The wife and I were actually heading out of town to see family. 
And since we were at a hotel in San Antonio, obviously, I had to get tacos from Mama Margie's because when you're in SA and it's late night and you want solid tacos, that's where you go. After that, though, the game had to get a little more serious. It used to be that I was self-conscious about admitting I didn't feel great about my weight. I mean, I feel like that's a pretty common thing. I'm not here to body shame anyone or any junk like that. But I know that I feel too dang heavy right now, and I don't like the way that feels. I like feeling light and strong, and while I may be fairly strong now, I felt light about 20 pounds ago. Obviously, I'm not going to drop 20 pounds in 50 days because that's not realistic, nor is it healthy. But I can get serious about fueling intelligently. And truth be told, I need to, because if I don't, the only person who's going to be disappointed is me. This is a little bit of a live example or a real-world anecdote, if you will. But the night before my first marathon, so this would be January 6th, no, January 9th, 2016. The night before the race, my future wife and I were at the Port Orleans Bar at Walt Disney World. And I had pizza, nachos, and I downed, I want to say, five or six hurricanes. I wasn't familiar with WDW race logistics at the time, so I woke up at like 3 a.m. per the recommendation of arriving at the starting village by 5 a.m. Well, I didn't actually begin running for like two or three hours or so. I was operating on next to no sleep at this point, and truth be told, I was uh, still feeling the effects of the libations I'd consumed just a few hours prior, if you get my drift. I've relayed this story a handful of times, but right around the halfway mark of my first marathon, I 100% woke up, if you know what I mean. That race was one I absolutely was not prepared for. However, it was one of the most important events of my life. If you'd like to hear the full story of the race experience and the lessons learned from really the most important training cycle of my life, pop back in the archives and give our inaugural episode a listen. I relay this short story in a truncated format to illustrate even though that race was about five years ago, since then I've cultivated my marathon mindset and I've learned quite a bit about what I am capable of physically. I now have an acute self-awareness of both my physical and mental limits. And because of this, I know the impact eating intelligently has on my personal performance and overall just how I feel on a day-to-day. I think we've all heard the term carbo-load. And while that is a very real training method that is proven to work, the average person is going to hear that and think that means to stuff their face with carbs the night before a big race. And not, you know, necessarily burning through their physical reserves of carbohydrate over the course of a week, and then slowly adding them back in to optimize performance. While that's a bit of an oversimplification of the principle, the point is, back when I first started running, I fell into the same pitfalls anyone else would when it comes to a lack of experience, knowledge, and or resources. Especially when it came to food, My thought process was eat anything and everything, which, as you can imagine, is not the correct philosophy to be operating with. Now with experience and an insane amount of trial and error to see what works for me personally, 
Again, I always want to add that qualifier that I'm speaking solely about what works for me as I'm not a nutritionist. The second I knew that I was going to run a race with less than two months notice, the first thing that had to change was how I was fueling. For me, that means no fried foods or dairy, ensuring the carbs I'm consuming aren't junky, meaning they're not chock full of sugar or they're fried or anything like that, or that I'm consuming too much of those carbs. Truth be told, that's pretty much all I had to change, and if I'm being real, none of those changes are particularly drastic. I'm a staunch advocate of going off how you feel when it comes to living a healthy and fit lifestyle. And because of this, I already have very little fried foods and dairy because they make me feel lethargic and heavy. Despite my reputation on YouTube and the internet at large as a self-proclaimed connoisseur of burgers, tacos, and barbecue on account of my being a Texan, these are foods I seldom consume, specifically due to how they make me feel, because trust me, Texas barbecue is the best barbecue on planet Earth, and if you haven't tried it, you absolutely need to. As I enter a very short training cycle, I'm very picky about what I'm eating. For breakfast on running days, I'm either having a banana or a bagel or a bowl of cereal prior to going out and pounding the pavement. For non-running days, I'm typically either having a bowl of oatmeal or a non-dairy yogurt with some granola tossed in on account of granola being absolutely awesome. Trader Joe's has this s'mores one, and I think we got this apple strudel one at Target or something, but I don't know. They are both fantastic. And although I can't stand cooking, right, I've said that a million times as well, it is absolutely the most healthy and frugal option for me. So I tend to cook a pound or two of chicken strips with some pepper and Cajun seasoning, along with some rice to have easily accessible for lunches. Either that, or I'll have a sweet potato that I just wash, poke a bunch of holos in, and then throw it in the air fryer for like 45 minutes. Once or twice a week, we may order food, right? We may order out. But even if we do, I'm typically ordering something like rice bowls, quinoa bowls, you know, all that kind of really boring stuff. I'm very much a pizza and wings type bro. But if I typically avoid that normally, you know I'm avoiding it like the plague during the middle of a training cycle for my dream race. You know, that being said, we did order pizza a few days ago because it was just one of those days. I'll admit, quote-unquote, eating my feelings, for lack of a better term, is a trap I have fallen into many times over the years. It's been a coping mechanism for stress and all that sort of junk, and really, it's the primary reason I put on so much weight over the past few years, right? As you grow up, you have more stresses that you need to deal with, and, you know, I kind of had a symbiotic relationship towards eating more junk, and then as my stress levels went up, you know, I just ate more junk. Now, don't get it twisted, right? It sure as heck isn't fun voicing any of these things in my bedroom closet. But I'm cognizant of the adverse impact it had, not just on my performance on the marathon course, but to my overall body image and general health. If bringing up the crutch I've used in the past, and admittedly still do from time to time, albeit in not nearly as severe a manner, If bringing that up is helpful to any of you psychomaniac runners, then I don't mind discussing it as much. I'm hopeful that if you're falling into those same bad habits, maybe hearing that yours truly has gone through a similar thing may prove beneficial. 
Anyways, that's essentially what I'm consuming on a daily basis. Sometimes we may get sandwiches from a local or fast food place if we haven't had the time to swing by the grocery store. But more often than not, I'm eating the same boring stuff over and over. I also have a tendency to severely dry out my chicken because my thought process is if it's cooked and I'm just eating it with rice or a sweet potato and I'm just adding a bit of hot sauce or Chick-fil-A sauce or some type of condiment, who cares if it's dry, right? (laughs) As long as it's cooked. It's not fun and it tends to get repetitive, but between work and training and packing for the move and trying to get ready to make some minor renovations prior to moving and making the best YouTube videos of all time and family and social obligations, time is in short supply. I'm sure that's a sentiment many of you can identify with. And when time is short, it's all about organization and prioritization. My priority, numero uno, as always, is my family and both their and my well-being. So that means getting the house in order and making sure all of that is copacetic. It also means if and when the wife wants to go out for a date night, I'm sure to either eat beforehand or make sure wherever we're going has viable options that will help contribute to my journey on the road to Gainesville. Is all this ideal? Of course not. I'd much rather be able to just go out and have a few drinks and eat whatever the hell I feel like and just in general have a rollicking good time But I don't need booze or junk food to do that. Perhaps most importantly, I'm playing the long game here. And fueling intelligently most of the time is not only going to improve my performance come race day, and conversely, you know, help me know that I did my absolute best when it came to my 8-mile moment of running my dream race, but it's also going to help me live a happy and healthy life moving forward. Now let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the fun stuff actually pounding the pavement. As I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion, for the past 20 months or so, I've pretty much just been going for extended walks in the four to six mile range, occasionally running intervals, but more often than not just busting out the old power walk while I listen to a Star Wars audiobook. As a result, I'm not used to high mileage or running consistently, especially when we're talking about something physical If you don't use it, you lose it. Just because I've completed high mileage races before doesn't mean I'm physically prepared to tackle one soon. We'll talk about the mental aspect in just a few minutes. But needless to say, running steady, high mileage is something that takes considerable ramp up time. And 50 days is anything but that. However, Over the years, I've learned from the plethora of mistakes I've made and have become acutely familiar with what's needed to prevent overtraining, and I know how to get myself as prepared as possible with the amount of time allotted. In nearly every discussion we've had in our humble corner of the internet where we have discussed running and how to increase mileage and speed, we've covered the secret, the absolute best method to begin training to tackle your first race. And I'm going to share it with you one more time, interval training. This means alternating between running and walking segments at a pace that's comfortable for you. This can be walking for 45 seconds and running for 15 seconds, two minutes on, two minutes off, whatever works for you. As I've been walking quite a bit, but not really running, 
Going back to the foundation of all marathon training, aka interval training, is the best way for me to get accustomed to both high mileage and running consistently again. Back when I went through my first training cycle, my thought process was I need to run frequently and all the time, considering I signed up for that race with about three months notice. This quickly led to overtraining and my sustaining an injury, which prevented me from running almost entirely in the month prior to race day. Not wanting to fall into that same trap and being armed with a ton more knowledge I've accrued over the years, this is how I'm training for this race. I'm running three times a week, and that is it. If that sounds low to you, I don't blame you. I much prefer when training to run a race four times a week. So I like running four times a week when I'm training, as that typically affords me enough time to adequately rest and not overtrain. That being said, as I haven't been anywhere even remotely near running consistently, much less high mileage, I know that for me, I need to limit the amount of times I'm running per week. As I've noticed, I respond better when I have more time to recover, especially when I'm hardcore ramping up the speed and mileage. I'm typically running on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then either Saturday or Sunday, and I have very specific goals in mind with each run. For the midweek runs, I'm trying to get my body reaccustomed to running consistently. I like to divide my intervals up in terms of 10. So when I found out that I would be running this race, I began running five minutes on, five minutes off, for a duration of six miles. Currently, I'm running seven on, three off, and while the pace isn't particularly fast, I think I'm running around an 11 and a half minute mile or so, the goal is to just get accustomed to the actual feeling of running consistently and not burning through my energy reserves. Over the next few weeks, I'll kick it up to nine miles, or nine minutes running rather, and then one minute off. And given I really only have a month left, or less than a month at this point by the time this episode releases, so I only have like eight midweek runs, that's likely all the progress I'm going to make. I don't even know if I'm going to really hit the nine minutes running one minute off. Each of those midweek runs, like we just mentioned, is six miles, but beginning, actually probably beginning today, because today's Tuesday, I'm going to pick it up to seven miles within the next, yeah, today. I, actually, you know what? I'll just do that today. So I'm going to start doing seven miles instead of six. Now for those weekend runs, the long runs, the high mileage hitters, I'm sticking to a dedicated cadence of five minutes on, five minutes off. When I found out that I'd be running the, the race about, I guess, two, three weeks ago at this point, I immediately came back the next day and did 10 miles. And then the following weekend, I did 14. And I'm trying to increase the mileage around four miles a day, depending or a weekend, depending upon how I'm feeling that particular day. Typically for a marathon training plan, you'd increase mileage by about two miles or so consecutively for a few weeks before dropping it down to give yourself some time to quote unquote recover. So in a perfect world, I would have ran 10 miles one weekend, then either 16 or 14, then, or I'm sorry, I would have done 10 miles one weekend, right? And then 12 or 14, then 14 or 16, and then I would have gone back down to like 10 or 12. But given the truncated time frame, that's not a luxury at my disposal. Although it's not ideal for me to structure the training plan like this, and the primary reason I wanted to wait a couple years to qualify before attempting to run the NYC marathon was to get myself back up to running high mileage continuously, 
When an opportunity presents itself, in my book, it's best to take your shot. Now, yes, I wanted to have adequate training time to get myself in the best shape possible so I could have that race be the one where I was most prepared so, you know, I could dominate and all that. But even if I had time to train and came in with a qualifying time, there's no guarantee I would have been able to get accepted to NYC. Couple that with the fact that this is the 50th anniversary of the most iconic race in the world. And to me, that's just a perfect confluence of circumstance. Yes, the timing isn't ideal, and I know my performance isn't going to be as good as it could be, but patience never got anybody paid, nor has it gotten anyone exactly what they want. My performance is going to be the best it possibly can be on that day. And really, that's a nice segue to the final component of this training cycle that I'd like to discuss with you, Psychomaniacs, and that's the marathon mentality. If this was the true bros of three years ago, and this opportunity presented itself, and deep down I knew I was going to be able to run the race of my dreams, but I did not have adequate time to prepare, so my performance wouldn't necessarily be up to my personal standards. I mean, I know, I'm not going to say probably, because I know that I would not have been a happy camper. Now, primarily, that stemmed from my inability to turn off my marathon mindset, kind of off and on at will. Motivation and discipline and acute focus look different for everyone in any circumstance. When it comes to me actively working, right, like whether it be my job or, or editing videos or composing our humble podcast scripts, I like quiet or instrumental music to drown out surrounding noises. When it comes to physical stuff, though, whether that be the punching bag or running or just, you know, anything physical, my mindset gets a lot more aggressive. In the first video where I mentioned I was training for a marathon with 50 days notice, we mentioned how one of the most important aspects of race day for me is the specific playlist that I'm going to be listening to when I'm on the course. I'll build a playlist that's all gas. It's all focus. And it has a good blend of softer emotional songs to remind me while I, why I'm doing what I'm doing. But the playlist isn't necessarily just high BPMs like it would be for a party, or really even a regular training run. How you settle into your personal marathon mentality is something you need to be cognizant of, because we all mentally rev up in different ways. Race day mornings. I like complete quiet. I like having my pre-race meal and coffee, typically alone in silence, as races tend to start obscenely early and my wife is typically still snoozing when I wake up. When it's time to make my way to the start village, I'm focused on being adequately hydrated, using the restroom about 57 times, and making sure I know where to be and when I need to do so, right? It's not exactly complicated, but it's just little stuff that I occupy my mind with. I like quiet in the time period before. It's time for me to get amped up. But then when that march to the start line begins, it's time to fire up my traditional race song, Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf, because baby, nothing hits just right for me like that one. And then I go with a salvo of three NWA songs. That's always how I begin every race where I'm listening to music. That's my race day routine. Silence. Not really thinking about anything important, followed by music that helps get me going. Starts 
rev gets get it starts getting me revved up and eventually when the playlist moves over it goes to songs that hit me a little bit more on an emotional level a few years ago i struggled to get into that headspace that i needed to be in to maintain focus and I, and as a result i had difficulty quote unquote turning it off and on at will how you get into your personal marathon mentality is something no one else can help you figure out. I can't do it for you. No one can tell you what gets you focused, although I personally would recommend trying a few different things which are conducive to your personality. Not that the key word there was focused. As to me, getting into the right frame of mind isn't necessarily about being competitive or hyped or amped or anything like that. We all approach things in our own way. My personal style of focus for physical activities is very aggressive, although that aggression isn't exactly visible to the outside world and takes place entirely in my head. It's also very competitive. However, that competition, again, is inward-facing and primarily has me taking inventory of my previous performances and how I'm trying to improve upon them with every race and training run that I undertake. Last weekend... I was in a car with my cousin, and I asked him to play me his workout playlist, because I know he works out all the time. After we went through a few songs, I was like, I was like, yo, man, where's the violence? Where's the aggression? And he's like, what do you mean? And I played him a few of my songs, right? Pretty heavily on the Slipknot and the Blind Channel, and uh, I think I had a lot of Kendrick Lamar on there and some Kanye. And he was like, whoa, bro, whoa, like, whoa there. <laughs> now, obviously, our musical choices are reflective of our, of our individual personalities. And that's the point that I want to illustrate. Even though we both use music to focus, for me, I primarily use it on race day. And he uses his workout playlist all the time, right? And for me, come race day, I'm listening to that playlist to keep me focused. As most of my training runs are spent listening to audiobooks like we covered earlier. During my first few training cycles... It was difficult for me to get into that frame of mind, that focused marathon mindset. And I struggled quite a bit to engage it as needed. Over the course of our conversations here, I repeatedly mentioned how, in the lead up to my first few races, I was constantly frustrated due to my performance, the inability to train, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't until years later that I was able to reflect upon my mindset at the time. And in hindsight, I was struggling to manage my marathon mentality appropriately. I'd struggled to turn off that aggression when I wasn't actively training. And certainly when I couldn't train, right? I couldn't even reconcile that mentally. And this had a tremendously negative impact on my mood and my overall mental state. Over the years, I've come to identify when I'm getting into that headspace. And conversely, I have better learned to manage how to, quote unquote, turn it off. You can call it compartmentalizing. You can call it whatever you want. But it's a specific frame of mind that with time, I learned how to manage. So when I learned that I was going to have the opportunity to run this race with such a short lead time, I was curious to see how long it would take me to get back into that frame of mind given that I haven't really been running at all recently and I haven't gotten anywhere near high mileage in pretty much the last two years, I wasn't sure how long it would take for me to be able to get back into my marathon training mindset. 
And I was surprised that it only took me those first two weeks. And while that mental aggression is something I greet like an old friend at this point, it's also now blended with everything that I've learned. I know how my body responds to different stimuli. So coming up with the training plan we discussed really only took me a couple minutes. Getting back into the old habits of monitoring my intervals and water and my carbohydrate intake was like riding a bike. And maintaining that focus is something that I no longer struggle to do. This is why I want the focus of our humble podcast here to be cultivating our personal marathon mentality. Because this is now something I can do with relative ease. But I'll never forget both the physical and mental struggles I had over the years. If you're just beginning your journey on the road to Gainesville, it's my sincere hope that you find our conversations here beneficial. Before we wrap things up, let me just say, I'm a certified personal trainer who has completed multiple races over the years. I feel as if we live in an age where people have somehow gotten dumber and empathy is pretty much non-existent. Although I know that is certainly not the case with any of you psychomaniac longtime listeners of our humble corner of the running internet, the last thing I want is any of my comments to be misconstrued, hence why I'm always peppering in those qualifiers whenever I make a statement that is ripe to be taken out of context. I say this because even though I am in the process of preparing to run the most iconic race in the world with only 50 days notice, and really I think this goes without saying, but there is no way, no way I would recommend someone else do this. Ideally, if you're training for your first race, and if you're logging the kind of mileage I have been for the past year and a half, you'd give yourself anywhere from 6 to 18 months to give yourself time to get accustomed to the rigors of running, high mileage, and learning what works for you from both a fuel or food and physical perspective. This undertaking I've willingly signed up for is many things, but smart probably isn't one of them. However, this is something I've dreamed about for years. And even though the time period is short, I know deep within mi corazón and my soul as a human that this is something I am capable of doing. You know, I've talked about this a handful of times during other forms of content like YouTube and Twitch, but I'm not 100% sure I've ever mentioned this here. When it comes to running... I don't necessarily enjoy it all that much. It's why when I would work with clients and they tell me they wanted to do cardio, but they didn't want to run, I absolutely understood that. Running is the most approachable sport there is, but especially when we're talking about high mileage, it gets pretty dang repetitive and monotonous. But that is exactly why I do it. It's not like I enjoy the physical act of running, but it's not easy to stay mentally zeroed in on something for hours at a time, and especially when we're talking about the muscular strength and endurance required to complete these races continuously. If you don't keep at it, you're going to lose those physical gains to some extent. The marathon mentality will stay developed once cultivated, but you need to constantly work at the physical component to be able to perform at a high level, even if it is quote-unquote just running. That's the reason I keep at it. It helps me stay disciplined and not just provide lip service to the process. Running may be a large part of my personal health and fitness journey, 
but it's just one facet of who I am as an individual. What I've earned from running isn't just knowing what my body is physically capable of or a wall of medals. Nah, 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 nah. What I've got from it is my personal marathon mentality. And that's why I take on these high mileage hitters. I feel like it's a very natural sentiment to say, as somebody who frequently says, you know, everybody needs to complete a marathon at least once of their life to be one and done, right? Like I completely understand that. I've had clients do that. I've helped family members do that. I understand that sentiment. It isn't a natural thing to stay mentally focused on one physical task for hours on end while listening to your body and knowing when you need to fuel and hydrate. That's a learned skill, and it's something you develop with experience. Truth be told, it took me a few races to get dialed in both physically and mentally. But now that I have that switch I, that I can just turn on, it's helped me not just with fitness, but with communication, with work, all of that kind of stuff. Being able to mentally focus, even when you're physically exhausted, isn't easy. But it's a life skill that I vehemently believe is imperative to develop. And personally, I don't think it's something that you can develop with just one race. Like I said, I've been through many races. And it took me a long time to become cognizant of where my shortcomings stemmed from. We as strong and healthy people need to remember the road to Gainesville is all about the journey, not the destination. While crossing a finish line of a race you've spent months and possibly years training for is a high that's pretty dang difficult to articulate, that moment, as wonderful and as proud as it may be, is just that, a moment. I don't say this to try and discount that accomplishment. Heck, I started this podcast because I want new members of the running community to absolutely dominate their first race and get that high. I bring up the fleeting nature of our accomplishments or those moments of jubilation that we chase to remind you that no matter how hard you train and how good your performance is and how proud you are when you have that medal draped around your neck, We've still got to go to work the next day. We still have families who are counting on us. Friends we want to spend time with. Video games we want to dominate. We want to feel good and strong and confident when we look in the mirror. And in general, we all have a bunch of things that we want to do besides work out. Living a healthy and fit lifestyle from both a physical and mental perspective enables us to do those things. And it's important we don't lose sight of what's really important, being better, healthier, and stronger than we were yesterday. I appreciate you spending some time with me today, and I hope you're seeing what I see, that truly anyone can run. We drop new episodes whenever we have a new topic to discuss, so make sure you smash that subscribe button. If you've ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at AnyoneCanRunPod. If you enjoy Anyone Can Run, notify a fellow runner or someone who wants to kick off their journey on the road to Gainesville so we can all help one another live a healthy and fit lifestyle. If you need more gains, do me a solid and pound that subscribe button on YouTube as I'm typically dropping two videos a week. It also helps, if you don't mind, when you leave a quick rating and review in your podcast app of choice to help us dominate the charts. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast. And if you did, don't forget to pound that subscribe button. If you didn't enjoy it well, you get what you pay for. And regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.